Welcome to Politics Pulse on WKXL. I'm Matt Robeson. We are a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, every single platform that's out there. And I'm very pleased to welcome a special guest here for this segment where we focus on what's happening inside the Capitol and beyond. And that is a really uh, salient theme for the events that have overtaken us in the last week, the events that took place under the Capitol Dome and the impact that they've had on our politics and around the country. And I'm very fortunate to welcome Jamie Steam, a distinguished reporter, journalist, who was there uh, in the Capitol building under the dome in the House chamber during the events that unfolded on January 6th. Jamie has been at the CBS News Bureau in London. She's reported for the Hill newspaper in Washington. She's covered Baltimore for The Sun. And she writes a syndicated column for Creators Syndicate. Her columns have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the San Francisco Chronicle, including recently her first person account of what she saw on January 6th. Jamie, welcome to the Politics Pulse. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And I wish we were talking about a more upbeat topic, uh, a happier topic. Uh, But unfortunately, we've seen, I want to say, nearly unprecedented events in the last week, nearly because I guess they were precedented somewhat in 1812 when British soldiers burned the capital to the ground. But we saw a level of violence that's rarely been seen before. Tell our listeners more about what you saw on January 6th. I saw the worst scene I've ever seen in my life as a journalist, my life travels, my, um, you know, my, my imagination. This, this was absolutely a violation of everything that we're taught to believe about American democracy. And I was a history major. I believed that our journey was always sailing in the right direction, Matt. And I was just absolutely um, devastated for the 16 hours that we were under siege, um, starting in the House chamber while the votes were counted to certify the election results. That started about one o'clock in the afternoon. By two o'clock, with Speaker Pelosi in the chair, we started hearing sounds out in the hallway. And then there was this announcement. Um, And when I say we, I mean members of the House out out on the floor, and the journalists were up in the gallery looking down on the scene. The chamber doors, you know, usually can just go in and out of the chamber. Um, So anyway, we hear this announcement that the building has been breached. Okay, what does that mean? This is the Capitol building. This was the place where George Washington laid the cornerstone in 1793, actually 1790. I wasn't a history major for nothing. And so here, here we are with the statues of Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson, the great suffragettes in the rotunda, one of whom went to Swarthmore, one of whom was a founder of Swarthmore College, Lucretia Mott, 
I, I um, should tell our listeners that uh, Jamie and I share an alma mater. Uh, we're, we're both graduates of Swarthmore College uh, to Jamie's everlasting credit, and I guess a little bit to mine. Please go on. <laughs> so we um, were educated in that Quaker nonviolent tradition of social change that the world can be changed slowly but surely. Uh, Martin Luther King believed in that. He practiced it. The, actually, the suffragettes practiced nonviolent resistance. That is almost my religion, Matt. And so to see these, actually, I couldn't see the mob. I could only hear them because the chamber was quickly locked. So we were un, unknowing on the house side how many raging men, white men mostly, and some women who, who, who stormed the steps and the terrace of the Capitol, who were climbing up ropes to breach windows to enter the building. We had no idea of any of that because we didn't have pictures, right? So in a way, it was better that way that we didn't know um, what was outside the chamber. But then the announcement came, the, the rotunda has been breached making it sound like you know, one or two individuals had breached this sacred space under the dome. This is the citadel of our entire national identity. It belongs to all of us. And all of a sudden it's in danger. It also has fantastic artwork, as I'm sure you know, with the dome, you know, uh, it's inspiring art there. Anyway, we were not told the extent of the danger. We were told to get down, kneel, um, put on an escape hood, whatever that was. We, you know, we had was this aluminum wrapped escape hood for the tear gas that was gonna come in to seep into the chamber. So we hurriedly put that, put that on and we knelt and <clears throat> we started moving along toward the locked doors. How are you going to evacuate a chamber with locked doors? Okay. The confusion was clear by this point and the alarm was growing. Um, and so we just held our cool. And I have to say to the members credit, probably 300, 250 of them were on the floor. They kept their cool. It was kind of a tense silence up in the gallery and down on the floor. And then you may have seen pictures of the gun standoff. There were like four men with guns at the broken window. And you could see through the broken window, you could see faces of, of men, the mob out there. And we didn't know if they were armed. We didn't know what was gonna happen. That was the most uh, frightening moment because anything could happen. It was very volatile. And that's when I felt like calling my family. You know, I think one of the things that's coming through very well from your description of the events that is very hard to get across just from TV images, still photos that people may have seen of the, of the Capitol dome is, and the house chamber itself is just the sense of physical vulnerability in that space the chairs are low. So when Capitol Police instruct people to duck down below chairs, you are talking about lying prone on the ground. The doors to the chamber have glass in them. And so as you describe, the, the, the broken glass in the doors 
is really befitting, you know, a, a, a very flimsy security barrier that you have there that Capitol Police literally had to pile furniture against to create a barricade. And when you reference right. escape hoods earlier, this was an, an innovation that came in while I was still a staffer in the wake of the anthrax attacks in the wake of 9-11, when there was concern that there might be chemical or biological agents at some point released in the Capitol. And I can just tell you, they are flimsy. Do not think here of, you know, a movie like Contagion and a full body biohazard level see, um, that's, kind of the that's kind of the old fashioned beauty of it. It's not designed for evacuation. It's right. not designed for planes crashing here and there, right? It's not designed, whoever thought a mob was gonna storm the, the citadel of democracy. And by the way, you mentioned the British in 1814. I know that story well, because then they went to Baltimore. They marched to Baltimore after that. And um, the British and the United States were at war. What the British did in burning the Capitol and the White House was within the rules of warfare. This had no rules. The rule was there were no rules. What and a mob stormed the you know, you were alluding a moment ago to the mood, the the calm, to their credit, of the members of the House that you saw. As I understand it from other in-person accounts that have come out since January 6th, there was then a prolonged period of waiting, of mm -hmm. sheltering in place and preparing for the members to get back to the floor and finish the business of certifying the votes what was that period like? Did you, where were you? And what did you see from the members about their thinking uh, during that time about how they were gonna continue with this fundamental, fundamental exercise of democracy? Well, we all um, evacuated about the same time over to the Cannon building. There's a tunnel that takes you to the three house office buildings as you'll remember. But we were a little wary of that because these people knew the complex. They had a map of the building. Maybe they would be waiting for us on the other side, right? So I'm walking along with this um, Ohio Democrat. She's a Congresswoman named Marcy Kaptur, who's probably in her 70s, if not close to 80. And she was not breathing heavily like I was. She was just walking calmly along in her very nice suit. And, and I looked at her and said, Congresswoman, why are you so calm? And she answered me in this very philosophical way. She said, I've had a lot of hardship in my life. And that helped me calm down. You can learn things in, um, not in panic, but in, in crisis. You know how crisis defines character? Well, there we, there we were for the next probably four or five hours in the, in the house cafeteria building, which is in the basement. They, they were closed, but you could, you know, I had, we had no coats, we had no money. We could get a Coke from the machine, but, um, but we had each other. We had some sort of bunker um, camaraderie and got to know each other. There were laborers from the capital workforce a lot of African-American people who knew, knew the whole building's 
beautiful design and nooks and crannies. And one of them said to me, it's not just the building that they hurt, they hurt your heart. This, this is their craft. This is their pride and joy. And um, I talked to a CNN producer who you know, passed in the hall here and there. She said, I had to duck into a senator's hideaway during the shooting and I had to you know, duck in his bathroom. Um, who ever thought there would be gunfire in this, in this building which you and I you know, probably would put at one of the um, you know, highest in the whole pantheon of the buildings that we feel connected to. You know, you and I have been to many museums all over the world, right? Um, I, there's no building like the Capitol for me. And I have thought to myself before that if I was gonna die here, that would be okay. This would be a good place to die. That's quite a sentiment. And it's, it's quite a thought to confront in the course of doing your job. And I think it's really poignant that you bring up that the people who are inside the Capitol complex, they're not all, we're, we're prone, I think, to think of them as elected officials and high-ranking staff. And, you know, it's a kind of insider muckety-muck crowd. The people who really make the Capitol complex go are many of them, the Capitol police, the people who do the custodial work, the people who maintain the facilities. And there are even during a pandemic, hundreds and hundreds of them. And the other thing that strikes me, of course, from your account is the Cannon House office building. Now there are three house office buildings, Cannon being the oldest, um, the most kind of broken down uh, of all of them. The fifth floor, when I worked there, I don't know if they've upgraded this. You, you couldn't take an elevator there. You had to walk up the, the last way. It's sort of where they stick people. Actually, if people ever want a primer on uh, what life in Congress is really like, I strongly recommend, of all things, the Eddie Murphy movie, The Distinguished Gentleman, which comes as close as anything I've seen to getting it right about the experience of being in that office building. And of course, you're, you're in the cafeteria, a, a very vulnerable space. So you're there with this mix of reporters, staff, members of Congress, perhaps? No, no, the members of Congress were on the next floor up. I see. So, so we were separated. Um, once, once we got over to Cannon, members go upstairs and we go to the cafeteria. And um, yeah, there was a real potpourri of, of people who um, felt very much in the same, same boat and um, who, I don't know, the, 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 it helped to be with a lot of people. It totally calmed down my heart rate, you know? <clears throat> What was the mood like as the, the, the hours passed and people prepared to return to the chamber to finish the work of certifying the votes? Was there a sense of resolve, determination, were people still filled with trepidation? What, what was sort of the current running through the atmosphere? Well, I, I thought we might just go home for the night and that's what I wanted to do, quite honestly. But I have to um, really tell you, Matt, how courageous and calm and grace under pressure is courage. That's what Speaker Nancy Pelosi brought to the entire situation. She didn't flinch. She's like, we are going back, Senate and House, and we're not gonna let the mob win. 
take over this process. We have to finish you know, symbolically and politically and you know, for, our own, for the institution. I'd be remiss if I so didn't ask you. Her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, you mentioned Marcy Kaptur earlier and along with Marcy and Speaker Pelosi, there are a, a number of members of the House, both Republicans and Democrats, who were there on 9-11 when the Capitol was supposed to be targeted and, of course, were part of that spontaneous show of solidarity and patriotism singing together on the uh, steps of the Capitol. So I, I can see that there's been a little bit of ingrained resolve that we have in some of our veteran members of Congress. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit on sort of the personal side. I, I know you're there in a professional mm -hmm. capacity. You obviously also showed a great deal of resiliency and resolve under extreme duress. What has the toll of this been like for you personally, if you don't mind sharing that with our mm -hmm. listeners? No, I don't mind at all because I'm sure I'm not the only one that's feeling this. You know, I <clears throat> never, but we joked in the house cafeteria, oh, never been to Vietnam, never been to war zone, but this, this is ours. This is our, our kind of baptism. And I have um, suffered, when I got home, everything crumbled, just fell into my bed in the morning light that finally came and wept and I was shaking. Um, it was very physical. Um, I don't have, I, my family's in California, so I, I had to, you know, just sort of make it through the, the morning, the afternoon, the night. I'm still um, having flashbacks and um, I, you know, like my, Everything is a little patchy and, and fragile. And, and if I hear a noise from over there that doesn't feel right, uh, you know, like that. <laughs> well, you know, you're not alone. And I mean, first of all, I'm sorry for hearing that. It sounds like you are experiencing a lot of what other people who were there in those circumstances are experiencing. There have been reports emerging in the last two days of Capitol Police officers who have had to turn in their firearms because they're concerned about self-harm. Um, there have been multiple like, reports. Know that, really? I'm yeah, so that, that's emerged. And of, and of course, there are other members of the media who have written, as you have, in very gripping terms uh, about the circumstances. Um, Haley Talbot writes about um, her experience a feeling of great physical vulnerability, uh, New York Times reporter thrown to the ground, having her camera smashed, uh, video emerging of Capitol Aaron Police Shaft. officers. Yes, that was, she was beaten. Yes. Beaten, and she could, it could have been worse for her. Well, I think that's really a repeated theme that I, I think has come out is that as bad as this was, and for the rest of us experiencing it in the moment over social media, over television, it, it may not have really come through, but what I'm taking away, and, and tell me if this was your impression as well, as bad as it was with, with five people dying in the incident and uh, obviously damage, both psychic and physical, it could have been mm -hmm. much worse. It seems like we, we really uh, got away with, yeah. with less damage than there could have been. It could have been a bloodbath, especially on the Senate side. Uh, if you know the Capitol, the Senate side is over here, the rotunda under the gym, and then the House chamber. Fortunately for us, the House chamber was never, 
it was barely broken into, but it wasn't broken into. They came that close, that close to a captive audience. On the Senate side, the senators were much more vulnerable because they, they knew how to get upstairs to the tile floors. Um, they, the chamber um, was desecrated um, and, and the senators had, had a close, close call. And I understand, Matt, that they came into the floor with, you know, with hand- Restraints. Plastic handcuffs and weapons. Right. And, yeah, so, so they, they might have, they might have had plans to take hostages. Yeah, and it's of we course something emerged that there was chanting. They were looking for Vice President Mike Pence. There was a sense that they were going to subject him, much like the attempt, the kidnap attempt on Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Um, that there was yes. certainly an element here that was looking to commit kidnap and some sort of violence against elected officials. And our um, fellow Swarthmore alum, Senator Chris Van Holland of Maryland, told me on by the Ohio clock at four o'clock in the morning, he said, Mike Pence for all, said, everything I've done for that man, he was done. He was finished. He was furious, understandably wow. so. That is a, that in itself is a whole new, new story unto itself. Well, Jamie Steen, we're coming to the end of our segment here, and I just want to personally thank you for going through all this on behalf of the rest of us. My father was a photojournalist. <laughs> you are a veteran journalist, and it is so important oh. to get these kinds of first. I'm not a veteran. I'm, I'm still, I'm not a veteran. I have never really, you know, Baltimore was as tough as it got for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've certainly, you've certainly seen a, a pretty wide breadth of politics and uh, uh, current events, and you've seen something here that's really unprecedented. And thank you so and much. Unforgettable. And, and unforgettable and for helping our listeners get a, a closer window into it. So thank you again for Politics Pulse on WKXL. I'm Matt Robeson. We look forward to seeing you next time.